Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast where we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. Any media company worth its salt these days has a direct-to-consumer strategy, and Lionsgate is no exception. Once a mere premium channel, Lionsgate's Stars brand has evolved into a global streaming service, albeit one operating in a very crowded space. To tell us how he's navigating the way forward at Stars, my guest today is Stars COO Jeff Hirsch. Thanks for coming in, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Now, I remember a time not too long ago when Stars wasn't even in original programming, let alone streaming, but so much has changed in recent years. And so I'm curious, what is it like to manage that level of change, to drive that level of change? That's a great question. It's exciting. Uh, you know, anytime you have a business uh, and you're a business leader, you have the opportunity to take a company, uh, look at an opportunity through disruption and, and change the structure of the company, the DNA of the company, the organization uh, to get results into the to the opportunity. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's what I like to do. I always like to say the nice thing about our business is I get a report card at the end of every month. Mm-hmm. And so good, bad, or ugly, you see how you're doing. And, and that's exciting to me. I like that risk-reward of the business. And what about that specific jump of stars, this once channel that is now, especially internationally, growing into something much, much bigger? That's that's the fun part. That's why we get up every morning, right? Was we mm-hmm. look at the business and said, we four years ago when I joined Stars, we were basically a linear business. We had a strategy of being the house brand for our traditional linear partners. We didn't have any aspiration of going over the top or getting closer to the consumer at the time. Uh, and we looked at the business and said, we need to. We have to. The business is changing. If we're not there, we won't survive. And I think when you're backed into a corner, it makes you really nimble and really quick to get get moving on that side. So uh, the first thing we did was we looked at the organization and said, we've got a bunch of people who have done wholesale their whole life. They know how to make great pieces of clip arts, make pieces of box art, you know, make trailers, make commercials that hand off to somebody else who owns the consumer. But if we're really going to be closer to the consumer and try to harvest the business, we need to have people who understand acquisition, digital acquisition, lifetime value, churn, analytics, data, all the things that I did when I came from the cable side, now onto the wholesale side of the business. And so we built this, I like to say, a bipolar organization where we have a wholesale side that still services the traditional business and still creates all the content. But we have a retail side now that really understands the consumer, harvests data, helps us understand what pieces of content to put on, where to put them on, how to schedule the network, what, uh, what pieces to buy in terms of library that will then support the acquisition tools of our originals on a retention basis, uh, what kind of library we want to go after, how we schedule the library, what kind of price points we have. And so we've really built a business that knows how to pivot back and forth between wholesale and retail on a regular basis. And I get what you're saying about the two different businesses, but to some degree, aren't they really similar in the sense that, yeah, it used to be you just dealt with Comcast and Cablevision, but isn't dealing with Apple or Amazon, which have the platforms where you could get the streaming version of Stars, aren't they really just sort of another branch of MVPD? True, they are the natural evolution of the traditional business. When we had cable, then you had satellite, then you had telcos, and now you have more technology disruption that brings the Amazons and the Apples in the world. But those guys are look at the business and say, video is key to driving our business. Unlike the traditional cable guys, that video is their business, right? Amazon 
businesses selling selling products, right? Putting video on top of that 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 base helps them have people stay on their service longer and buy more things. And so it's a different paradigm in that point of view. And so we're tighter, we're closer aligned than we were with the traditional guys because they want us to be successful because ultimately then they are successful. And so we get more data from Amazon and Apple than we did from the traditional guys. Um, we are talking to them every day. We could not do the international expansion that we just announced on our last call where we're now in 48 countries around the world without and Amazon and Apple decided they wanted to have a tech platform that was global. And so we now, in a very cost-effective way, have been able to expand stars from a domestic business to a global business within a year based on the backs of Amazon and Apple. We weren't able to do that with the traditional telco partners. And so while, yes, they are wholesalers, we get much more data from them. We are much more included in their business uh, and are part, really true partners than we are vendors or, or content providers. And then we have our retail business, which you know is a direct-to-consumer app of scale, which we control. We own the customer, and we get a ton of data out of that that, that product. And so we are now able to do three things with that with that with that direct-to-consumer business. One, we've built a tool working with MIT Media Labs and a third-party consultant that allows us to take all of our content scripts and throw it through an AI machine and say, how does it relate to shows that are on the air? Because we're trying to figure out how to extend lifetime value. So we know that when power comes on the air, there's a bunch of consumers that come on for power. And then we they- should make clear power is a TV yeah, show. Sorry. Power <laughs> okay. is the on TV stars. show on stars. Sorry. Sure. Um, I get very into our business. I'm I get passionate it. about it. So I apologize. But it's our biggest show. 11 million uh, viewers a week, uh, both on the traditional and the, and the digital side. But when they come on, they, they're, they come on and watch. There's a large portion that just come on and watch power. And then when power's over, leave. And that's great for the business because we get a lot of acquisition. But the, the key to really building a subscription business is figuring out how to extend that consumer past power. And so we built the data tool that will do three things. One, it tells us what show really ties to that core audience of power so that when we're making content decisions, we're able to buy a piece of content that fits that audience that we can put on behind it and extend lifetime value. It allows us to then go into our acquisition machine. Instead of buying 5,000 title libraries from Sony that are just bulk library, we can now say we want titles that look like this because we know if we put them behind power or put them behind our other show like Outlander, I can extend lifetime value. And then on a marketing side, it gives us really crystal defined segments to go after. And so instead of going to an agency and saying, find me a lookalike, I can say, go find this kind of consumer. And so we're much more efficient in how we spend. We're much more efficient in what we buy for the, from a content side. And so all of that data that we've been able to pull out of our app, our retail app, has actually helped our entire business. Yeah, I mean, it really tells you when you start talking about things like using artificial intelligence how much the game has changed. Um, but also in terms of your direct business, I- I'm curious, you know, are you getting more subscribers through, say, Amazon or Apple or what have you than you are just going direct? And, and also give us an update. Like, how many subscribers are we at now? And I heard some pretty bullish projections for the future. Yeah, so we just domestically just announced that we're at 4 million paid domestic subs. Uh, of that, there's a combination of, of Amazon, our own direct-to-consumer retail product, uh, Hulu and, and, and Sling. 
Uh, and then we've also just announced that we're now in 48 uh, countries around the world. And we think by 2025, that will generate another incremental 15 to 25 million OTT subscribers for the business. And so we feel really good about what we built. We also know, based on what's going on in the, in the industry at large, uh, that Disney doesn't have any plans to be international till 21, 22. I'm hearing Warner doesn't even have any aspirations of going around the world. You know, Hulu had a big misstep in Japan, and so I think they'll be slow to grow around the world. And so other than Netflix, we'll probably be the second or third largest pure play asphalt player around the world. And we have a three to four year window where we're out running ahead of everybody. And so that opportunity based on the content that we've been able to pull on the service, both from third parties like you know downstairs today at the, at the event, you're talking about the catch and, um, and the act from Hulu. Because Hulu doesn't have aspirations to go around the world, I've been able to buy that outside the United States. Oh. And so Hulu was supporting our international expansion because they're funding most of the production cost. And then we tie that with what I think is probably the biggest gem or the hidden little secret at Lionsgate, which is they have amassed a 17,000 title library over the last 18 years. So I have access to that library, their shows, our stars, originals, plus augmenting with third-party content. And I've built the content an SVOD product with really great broad content that I can deploy around the world very quickly. So that's really what it comes down to. You've got this great content library and you also have a very interesting window internationally where you could take advantage of the absence of some competitors. Though, you know, there's still competition in these 48 countries that you're in. So it's great that you have this availability, but you know, you're, I assume, going to go up against Netflix. You're going to go up against Amazon in these territories. Do you have the firepower? We don't look at those guys as competition, to be honest. I mean, if you look at Netflix, Netflix is trying to be all things to all people. Uh, they have a very, very high price point, and they kind of have a one-size-fits-all around the world. But ultimately, they're trying to replace television. So they're trying to replace Sky in UK. That's not the, the lane that we play in. Uh, we are a premium service, just like we are domestically here. We're priced domestically under all these guys. Internationally, we're priced at four ninety nine because we want to be seen as an add on service. We believe, you know, that the consumer will have four or five SVOD services in the home over time. We're happy to be number two, three, or four in the home, and if we're number three around the world, that's a great place for stars to live. Got it. And on the Amazons and the Apples, we're their partners. We don't compete with those guys. And so if you look at Spain as a great market, we're on Amazon, we're on Apple, we're also on Vodafone, we're also on Orange. And so distribution looks a lot like the domestic distribution where wherever the consumer wants the product, we're there. And so we're partners with all these guys. We're not competing with, with the local broadcasters or the local cable guys or, or the Amazons or the Apples. We're partners with all of them. Aren't some of these services not so much competitors but frenemies in the sense that you'll be – yes, Amazon will sell you in a territory, but they will have their own product, streaming product in a territory. And Apple may not be there yet, but their streaming service could go international at some point too. Well, there, we, we hope that their streaming service goes international. If you look at the, the global footprint outside of the United States right now, only about 5% of the consumers are actually watching video through SVOD. So it's very, very early days. And the one thing that we do like about what Netflix being in 190 territories is they're tra starting to train the consumer that to, to watch content through an SVOD functionality. And so then we show up as number two around the world. We get in early. People are starting to learn how to, how to watch it in this way, and they start to embrace that, and they start to buy the service. I think the other thing to think about it is that our programming strategy is very different than an Apple or an Amazon or even a Netflix, right? We are premium. We are focused. We are not ad supported. And to a certain extent, we skew female. And so that I think we've seen around the world has been very well received 
Vodafone's a great example. They made a decision a year ago not to buy sports anymore. And so they want to counter-program against their competitors in sports. Stars comes along with shows like The Spanish Princess and The White Queen and The White Princess and Sweet Bitter and Outlander and all the different shows that we have that really lean female, not at the exclusion of men, but they do lean a little bit female. It's a great place to program around the world, especially in Europe right now, because everything is so sports-centric. Yeah. So you got to 48 countries, but there's a much bigger world as you look further out. Or are you guys going to be on some sort of arc like Netflix where you're in hundreds at some point? We think ultimately over the next three years, we'll probably be in 90 countries. You know, some of it has to do with the fact that a lot of the, the Lionsgate library content is on longer term licensing deals. And so as those are all off in certain territories, we'll then launch a service behind it. Uh, Australia is a great example of that. So you mentioned Lionsgate again. You know, there was, uh, I think there was always an expectation of synergy once that acquisition was made a few years ago, but there's been some bumps in the road there. There's been reports that, you know, the previous CEO, Chris Albrecht, left because he didn't quite see eye to eye in terms of how these two entities should come together. So are you guys now at a place where everyone's on the same page? You know, recently we've just uh, consolidated a couple of the organizations. We had two production entities between Stars and the Lionsgate TV side. We've put those together. It makes sense to have, you know, a real great center of excellence around production, one of them in the business. HR, same kind of function we've put together. But I think the real benefit that we've seen most recently from the business is twofold. One is we we're, we could not go international as Stars without the Lionsgate library. It's just plain and simple. The, the integration or the deal allowed us to do what we just announced two weeks ago on our call and to be live in 48 countries within a year. I mean, we I don't think people understand how fast we moved to go from this was an idea at the board to being in 48 territories in almost less than a year, uh, which is, you know, I'm really proud of the organization. We had people working endless hours. Our Denver operation had to take all of this content you know, and actually get it prepared for 48 different languages and sometimes even more. I mean, in India, there's probably seven or eight different you know languages alone. And so um, we had, you know, people working three shifts around the clock to get this thing prepared to launch the service in the time we did. So I'm really proud of the organization and the focus that we that we had and, and how we executed, which to me is the biggest risk in any of this is the execution risk. Um, and the other side of it is on the content. You know, I think now, um, we are seeing more shows uh, coming from Lionsgate TV than we've seen before. Uh, we are seeing more shows coming in from the outside that we've seen before. We've greenlit more shows in the last four or five weeks than we did in the last year. And I'm really excited about the fiscal 21 slate. We'll probably have six or seven new shows on that really um, fit the kind of demo that we're going after and that will really help us fill the gaps that we have on the lineup today to extend lifetime value. And so I think everything's moving faster and, and more focused than it has before. And will the spending being increased to allow for the kind of ramp up in content you're going to need? Yeah, I think you'll see over the next two to three years, stars will continue to ramp the, the domestic slate in service of the international business. Uh, and so everything that we do now has to serve the world. Uh, Girlfriend Experience 3, which we'll, we'll bring back uh, sometime in fiscal 21. Uh, the original construct was to shoot it in Seattle with a storyline based in Seattle. And we talked to Soderbergh and the team about doing it in London and having it a kind of an international-based story. And so we will do that. And so as the slate continues to grow, it also has to feed the, the, global, you know, the global footprint. With the opportunity that you have, I wonder if there's another challenge. When you look at something like Netflix in 200 countries, well, they've also moved in a big way to international localized programming. 
Um, is that the road you're going to have to go down at some point? Because it seems like in the very not too distant future, you're going to have more subscribers outside the U.S. than in. That's the hope. Uh, yeah, we've, you know, the good news is Lionsgate has a, a large production office and, and a great executive team in London right now. We're talking about taking uh, the first run movies that come out of the U.K. onto the service in some kind of a quasi pay two, pay three service. We've got a team in uh, Spain right now looking up setting up local co-pros in Spain. We think we probably have to do that in Germany as well. Uh, our Stars Play Arabia venture in the 19 Mina markets is actually sticking its toe into local production right now, producing one or two shows. And then we have a Lionsgate office in India where we're actually looking at doing six to eight movies locally and a couple series locally as well. And so we, are, we think we have uh, boots on the ground in the right places of the world where we need the local content. And I also got to wonder about Lionsgate. And yes, a, a bigger company that you're availing yourself of its resources, but there's been reports that stars could be in play. CBS has been mentioned as a potential acquirer. And I'm wondering, is your strategy something that can work no matter what company you're at, as long as it's huge and has the resources? If you look around the world today, and this is why we feel so good about our op our opportunities internationally, HBO has done some uh, ventures like in Nordics where they have some territory, but they've licensed their content out all over the world and long-term licensing deals. And so Game of Thrones is on Sky, for example, in UK. Um, Showtime, same thing. They've licensed their content out. They've made the decision that licensing content is a real big you know, quarterly revenue driver for them, and they continue to do that. I think they've licensed their content everywhere in the world except for Spain and LATAM, and hopefully we'll do a licensing deal with them to put it on our service so that we can block them out eventually. Um, so I feel like we have a re we've created a really unique mousetrap around the world. And while we don't talk about M&A publicly, uh, I think it puts us in a very, very unique position to somebody to come and say, look what they've built over the last year and all the local deals. The local deals that we've done, and I think we've done 18 to this stage, I was actually surprised it took as quick, we got them done as quickly as we did. Because I'm used to working with the local telephone companies here, which take forever. But we've done so many local deals right now on top of the global partner deals that we have that it would be hard for somebody to replicate that in the time that we did it uh, in terms of their focus. And so it's kind of a build versus buy for somebody. And I think we've built a really good mousetrap for that. You mentioned HBO and Showtime. I mean, there was a time, I don't know, 10 years ago where, you know, you can't say the word stars without saying HBO and Showtime. It was such a distinct competitive set. My guess is you look at the world in a much broader way as you think about competition these days. Yeah, like I said earlier, I mean, we look at these guys as all of our partners. You know, again, we don't even look at Netflix as a competitor. We priced our product domestically to be a complementary to, not a replacement of. If you look at a lot of consumer behavior and a lot of consumer research, anything over $10 is a decision for a consumer. And so if you're HBO at $14.95 and you're at Netflix at 12 subconsciously you're asking the consumer to choose between one of the two. But because we've priced below $10 and there's a range between 5 and 7 where it's, you, people, it's kind of a decision, but it's not much of a decision. And under 5, people just don't think it's a decision at all. And so we've tried to price our product both domestically and abroad to be that addition to, not replacement of. So we envision a day where a home has a Netflix, uh, you know, a Netflix, an Amazon, and a Stars, or a Netflix and an HBO and a Stars. But we've priced ourselves to be that number two, three, or four SVOD in the home, not trying to be number one. And so 
that being said, other than competing for talent and showrunners, which is a whole other conversation we can have, uh, we feel like these guys are all of our, they're all partners of ours or frenemies, as you like to say, but not real true competitors. Well, let's have that production conversation. I, I can't imagine how difficult it is when you're sitting next to Netflix, HBO, Showtime, uh, to get the best talent, to get the best creators when they're being wooed by much bigger dollars. Uh, how, how do you stay competitive there? It's a great question. I think it's something that we wrestle with every day. One, I think our programming strategy is fundamentally different than everybody else's. We've talked about Netflix is trying to be really, really broad. Amazon is trying to be really, really broad. Uh, HBO wasn't trying to be really, really broad. Who knows what they're going to become now? Um, you read the same things I read. I think they will become broader than they have been in the past. Um, and so, you know, because we're really focused on this premium female demographic as with, with the secondary focus of premium fem- African-American females and premium uh, Latinx females, we are all kind of off on the side doing things uniquely that everybody else isn't looking at. And so while we're in all the big pitches, I just came from one from Warner the other day, it just wasn't on strategy for us. So it was not like we were going to compete and lose. It just didn't fit our demo. And as we talked about earlier, where we have to have something on the air every two to four weeks to serve those demos to keep churn low and extend lifetime value, we're really focused on that. And so we found ourselves in great positions to buy things like Dangerous Liaisons Around the World and Elizabeth and multiple different shows that really feed that Outlander audience, which is one of our biggest shows. Um, you know, the, the competition for good writers and for good showrunners, that's tough. That's really hard to find people who really know how to mount and run a show and deliver it on time, on budget with a great piece of content. But I think what we've also done really, really well uh, is built kind of a mentorship program within our writer's rooms where we always have a number two, three, or four that's there learning so that we can home grow all of our own showrunners going forward that know the demos, that know that see the writing room and really kind of become ready to be the next one up. And that's been a way that we've been avoiding kind of the escalating cost of showrunners. Well, I think costs escalating is something that's beyond just showrunners. I think peak TV has driven up costs in a lot of different respects. Mm-hmm. How do you keep a ceiling on that? It's a good question. I think we have to look at different formats. I mean, we have shows that run 59 minutes, and I'm not sure a consumer would would really notice that the show was 51 minutes or 59 minutes, but that that different eight minutes per episode is, an, is, is one less shooting day in terms of a budget. And I also think there's different ways to, to shoot shows that they aren't the five, six, seven million dollar shows that every agent kind of brings into us. Uh, Soderbergh, we've had a wonderful relationship with Steven Soderbergh, bringing in uh, kind of indie film type produced shows like Girlfriend Experience, Now Apocalypse, where those are a million, million and a half an hour versus these really grandiose seven million dollar an hour shows. And to be honest, they look great. The storyline's great. The writing's spectacular. Steven's one of the best, you know, guys in the business. And you put him on air and people love him. And I don't think they, the consumer doesn't really, you know, say, well, it's a million dollars an hour versus seven million dollars an hour. So I'm not going to watch it. So there's different formats. There's different lengths. Uh, We're playing with all that right now, especially in the digital world where, where so much of the viewership now has moved off of linear where linear you had to worry about the breaks i mean the old the old broadcast which is what what's the lead show and then what's the next show to bring audience to that on at least on the premium side isn't as valuable as it used to be we're not seeing the consumer going from eight to nine like they do on the broadcast side and so we can play with lengths because it's time shifted got it and you know so stars is becoming a global brand and i'm just curious though as it goes to i know there's the the arabia play and 
some of these other countries. I'm curious, is it the, is there the consistent brand in every market? They know it as stars, which I don't know if that's a word that makes has much meaning in certain areas. So we are not becoming, but we are a global brand. Um, outside the U.S., it's stars play with the exception of two territories. One is Canada, where it's just stars because there's a lot of media spillover. And so we thought the benefit of having some of that spillover for media was good to keep the brand going. And we've seen wonderful traction with our partner, Bell, there. I mean, it's some of the, our fastest growing territories is in Canada right now uh, because there is that, I think, that brand spillover. In the rest of the world, it's Stars Play and Mean It, Stars Play Arabia. And then in India, it will be a little different. It will be Lionsgate Play for the short term because there's a product there called Star. And so... Hmm. Um, but as we continue to roll out, and again, we've now been in 48 countries for two weeks, uh, as we get more local deals, so Spain's another perfect example, back to Spain, where we're on four or five dis- distribution partners, we now can go off channel and start to do outdoor and buses and advertise the brand because we have wide enough distribution and you'll start to see us do more of that. And you mentioned there's varying uh, price points. Uh, is there varying models for how stars is accessed? Is it uh, something that you could always in in any territory buy independent of, say, some sort of other tier of content? So ultimately, we we look at, you know, kind of two different, three different models per territory. There's the wholesale model, which looks just like the United States. We're on the backs of Amazon and Apple. Uh, There will be an app that we will have available uh, by the end of summer to deploy around the world, which will be you know, language toggle, GDP compliant everywhere in the world, that if we look at a territory and we see it's really growing fast, we'll drop a direct-to-consumer app in like we've done domestically, and we'll harvest the market really quickly. If it's a nice growing market, we may not decide to put that in, and we might just stay wholesale on that market. And so you'll have the op- the option or the flexibility to go one of the two. And then we have the venture model, like Stars Play Arabia, where it's wholesale, retail, uh, both. And so it just depends on the marketplace. And you'll learn different things yeah. as you try different experiments. Yeah, the, the beautiful thing of what we've built with the, taking the domestic app around the world is all the data that we talked about earlier, we will now get for every territory we have our app in the world. That will all come back to Denver to our analytics team here. And so the folks that have done all the learning on the domestic side will now get all that international data in. And we'll start to see by territory and use the same set of metrics and KPIs to determine what other content and what we need to do in those territories as well. Well, it sounds like you've got an interesting year ahead of you, Jeff. Wish you the best of luck, and thanks for coming and talking about stars. Thanks for having me. I love talking about the company. I'm I'm excited about what we've built. I'm excited about our execution to date, and we'll see what happens in the next year. Sounds good. Thank you. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing.